Let us pray. Almighty God, we often dive into your word without first preparing our hearts. We read or listen to scripture and we miss the tone of your voice, the gravity of the words, and the intention of the Holy Spirit to draw us in. Here in this moment, here in this sacred place, be very present, like the man who waited all his life by the pool and finally met Jesus, we ask you to trouble the waters. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from the wisdom of Solomon, chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. Listen now to God's word for you and for me. Wisdom is radiant and unfading, and she is easily discerned by those who love her and is found by those who seek her. She hastens to make herself known to those who desire her. One who rises early to seek her will have no difficulty, for she will be found sitting at the gate. To fix one's thought on her is perfect understanding, and one who is vigilant on her account will soon be free from care because she goes about seeking those worthy of her and she graciously appears to them in their past and meets them in every thought. The word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. Yes, George, you can listen too. Verses 1 through 13. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, Look, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord. The meaning of the words I'm about to preach in this sermon and the meaning 
of the words you heard today from Matthew's gospel in this strange story, the meaning of those words, my words and the words from the biblical text, they would change. It would change if they were heard in another time and place or, or placed in a different location within the gospel story. I say that because the Bible is always in conversation with itself, of course, but also the time and the place when and where it is read. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we believe God speaks the word that needs to be heard to the people who need to hear it. That's the power of Scripture. It speaks to this and to every age. Stories from the Bible especially stories that confound and confuse us, stories that seem to run counter to what we know and believe about God, those stories need to be put in dialogue, in conversation, with both the scriptures that surround them and the world, I believe, that receives them. Without context, without setting, the meaning, the word we need to hear could be lost. So let's try to set the context today, the context of the world we live in and the context that surrounds the passage before us today. Let's start with our world. A contentious presidential election has revealed and exacerbated the deep and real divides in our nation. While communities around the country, both red and blue, are threatened both by virus and by violence. Tensions are incredibly high. People are and have taken sides. Uncertainty abounds. Even the precious and sacred fabric of our democracy is being stretched and pulled and tugged. We are a divided nation in conflict with each other. That is the cultural and historical context that the Spirit of God speaks into today with this story about ten bridesmaids. Now, the biblical context is important, too. The story about the bridesmaids, it follows, in your scriptures, it follows a chain of passages, of stories, of illustrations that speak to, that talk about the coming of the Lord and our need to be ready and vigilant for that great and glorious day. In these stories, we are told in different ways to wait faithfully and patiently because the Lord will come to us, come to the world like a thief in the night, surprising us all. The parable of the ten bridesmaids follows the last of these last day parables. The story right before the one we heard today is a story about a slave who, while waiting for his master to return, turns against his fellow servants and starts to beat them, to hurt them. When the master returns and learns of this behavior, the master literally cuts up, divides up the servant and places him with the hypocrites, the stage actors, where we are told there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. One slave mistreats other slaves while they all wait for the master to return. And the master's response is harsh and violent. And it's immediately, 
immediately after this terrifying consequence to, let's be honest, foolish, but not all that unusual human behavior, it's after this terrifying consequence that our story begins today with these words. Then, Jesus says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Jonathan Kozel's book, Set in the South Bronx, Amazing Grace, has as one of its characters a 12-year-old boy named Anthony. Anthony is a street kid. He's seen countless drug deals. He's seen murders. His uncle Carlos has AIDS. Other uncles of his are in prison. This is Anthony's context. But Anthony, it turns out, is also a very religious young boy. He talks to Kozel in the interviews a lot about the kingdom of God. To get clarity on what he means by this, Kozel asks Anthony, what do you mean, Anthony, by this kingdom of God? Why don't you write something for me describing what you mean? Like a homework assignment? Yeah, Kozol says, like, like homework. So Anthony goes home and writes a three-page essay about the kingdom of God, part of which reads this way. God's kingdom. God will be there. He will be happy when we arrive. People will come hand in hand. It will be bright, not dark and gloomy like here on earth. All the friendly animals will be there, but not the mean ones. As for TV, forget it. If you want vision, you can use your eyes to see the people you love. No one will look at you from the outside. People will only see you from the inside. All the people from the street will be there. Mr. Mongo will be there, but he'll be happy for once in his life. My uncle will be there, but he will be healed. The prophets will be there. Adam and Eve will be there. Edgar Allan Poe will be there, but not like somebody important. He'll be a writer teaching students. No violence will be in heaven. There'll be no guns or drugs or IRS. You won't have to pay taxes. You'll recognize all the children who have died when they were little. And Jesus will be good to them and play with them. At night, Jesus will come and visit at your house. I believe deep down this is the kingdom for which we all wait. Back to the passage from Matthew's gospel, this strange story about ten bridesmaids, five foolish and five wise. Am I the only one here? I don't think I am. The only one here who finds the behavior of the five wise bridesmaids to be a little off-putting, a little odd. While technically they did nothing wrong, they sure come across in the story as condescending and self-righteous. When given the opportunity to secure their place at the wedding at the expense of other people's places, they don't hesitate to keep their lamps trimmed and burning. Instead of helping the other bridesmaids by sharing some oil with them, these wise ones quickly do what humans love to do. They divide themselves up. Half that are prepared and half that are unprepared. When given the opportunity to come together as they wait for the groom to arrive, they put their needs ahead of the needs of others. 
maybe you've already made the connection here, but when you place this story in conversation with our present situation, you can't help but see some parallels. Like these ten bridesmaids, we've all woken up from a long slumber to find ourselves in a bit of a pickle. We, too, face an uncertain future, and half of the country thinks the other half has no clue on what it will take to be ready for what is to come. Of course, when we hear this story, we all see ourselves as the wise ones in the story, as those who are ready and prepared for what's next, which, of course, makes all of us look like fools. Here's the question I've been wrestling with all week, with all that's been going on. I've been sitting with this text, and it's been a nice break from everything else, to be honest. Here's what I've been wrestling with. What if Jesus is using this strange story not to teach us a lesson or to give us a blueprint? What if he's offering in this story a prediction? What if he is using this story to illustrate what happens when the servants who are waiting for their master to return choose to mistreat one another while they wait? What if this story is predicting what happens when we believe the God we are waiting for is a harsh God who judges misdeeds and only comes to those who are ready? What if the story's ending is a warning to us and not a blueprint for our behavior? I'm asking because the stories that both precede it and follow it seem to drive home the point that the God you are waiting for The God you expect to arrive, in the end, is the God you get. The story that follows this Ten's Bridemaid story is one you know by heart, I bet. A man goes out for a long journey, but before he leaves, he calls his servants to him. He entrusts three of his servants with some parts of his property. To one, he gives five talents. To another, two talents. To another, one talent. And while the master is gone, the servants who received five talents and two, they, they go out and they invest these talents in the marketplace. They take some risks with the rewards they've been given. And I think they do that because they believe in their heart of hearts that their master is a kind and generous man. When the master returns, the story says these two servants are rewarded for their faith by being given more talents to go and invest. But the servant who received the one talent, the one the text tells us who believed his master to be cruel and calculating, this servant buries the talent in the ground. And when the master returns, the servant gets the master he believed in all along, a harsh, uncompromising one. What would have happened if the five bridesmaids who had enough oil decide to share some of it with the five who'd run out? What would have happened if instead of fearing the bridegroom, what if they had trusted that he was a kind and generous fellow who would reward his guests for showing kindness and compassion to one another? God, I believe, is coming. God is coming to make all things new. And when God arrives at our doorstep, I wonder which God we think will greet us there. A God of endless mercy and compassion and love or a God who confirms our greatest fears. 
I'm asking because how we treat one another as we wait reveals the God we believe in. And with all that we know about God, revealed in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, I I simply cannot see how this story of the ten bridesmaids is a roadmap for how we're supposed to treat each other as we wait for God to return. Every one of the behaviors exhibited by the five wise bridesmaids in this story runs counter to the commandments Jesus gives his followers. Instead of being willing to lose their life, they seek to protect it. Instead of sharing what they have with others, they keep it to themselves. Instead of extending grace, they pass judgment. Their behavior is antithetical to the commands of Jesus, and the behavior of the master who returns is in no way aligned with the God we see and know in Jesus, the God of mercy and compassion and grace. In fact, if you listen closely, I think you can hear in this story echoes of Jesus' admonition to the disciples, when they want to send away those crowds, those huge crowds, they wanted to send them away, say, go in the town and buy some food for themselves. They weren't ready. That's their problem. And Jesus says, no, you stay. You give them something to eat. The five bridesmaids who refused to share with their less prepared sisters get into the wedding. Their choice was pragmatic. I'll give them that. It got them into the party, but at what cost? Put yourself in the story. Can you imagine how awful it would be to attend a wedding where half the invited guests are banging on the door, trying to get in, while the groom inside pretends he never knew them? Can you imagine how on edge that would make you feel as you considered how your relationship with the groom might play out if he ever finds you unprepared? I can't speak for you, but I would not want to attend a wedding like that and celebrate with someone that harsh and cruel. The next few years are going to be full of challenges, both for this church, you're in a transition, but also for our nation. There will be times when it feels like we are waiting in the dark for God to come. The pandemic is not through with us yet. Millions will struggle to eat and pay rent as our economy recovers. And the consequences of our acerbic partisanship will play out for years to come. The next few years will be full of times of darkness when we will be tempted to keep our lamps lit at the expense of others. But I wonder what might happen, what could happen, if we decided to wait together in the dark, trusting that God will find us and reward us for mirroring Christ's compassion to one another. I wonder what would happen if we decided to work together instead of securing our own place at the table as we wait for our master to arrive. In his sermon, The Kingdom of God, Frederick Buechner wrote these words that I would like to add into the conversation this passage is having with our story, our story, and the larger biblical story. He writes, The power that is in Jesus, and before which all other powers on earth and in heaven give ways, 
the power that holds all things in existence from the sparrow's eye to the farthest star is above all else a loving power. That means we are loved even in our lostness. That means we are precious, every one of us. Every city is precious. The world is precious. Someday the precious time will be up for each of us, but the kingdom of God is at hand. Nothing is different and everything is different. It reaches out to each of our precious hands while there's still time. Context matters. And we place this strange story about the ten bridesmaids in conversation with the gospel story and the story of our particular time. I wonder if Jesus is inviting us to write a different ending to this story. An ending that reveals our faith in a generous and loving God. An ending where everyone has enough. An ending that professes that God will find us even if we're huddled together in the darks. Dark. I wonder if then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Amen.